And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast for Wednesday, April 13th. Derek Van Riper here with Al Melchior. It is our weekly prospect episode, which includes keeper and dynasty league strategies, thoughts, and other observations of the the long-term variety. On this episode, we have prospect news. We had a very impressive debut, at least one that's still in progress at the time of this recording. Matt Brash pitching for the first time as a big leaguer against the White Sox on Tuesday. By the time you get to listen to this podcast, we'll have taken a look at Tommy Romero debuting for the Rays on Tuesday night as well. A few other recent debuts. We got minor league assignments. We have minor league level debuts. We have professional debuts from Jack Leiter. We've got trending players, all sorts of ground to cover over the course of this episode. But Al, I think we'd be fools if we didn't begin with Matt Brash. And it's four innings so far, just one earned run on two hits, four Ks, only one walk. I think that's the key for me. We know he's going to miss bats. The question is going to be with that delivery, how is he going to do long-term limiting walks? How is he going to do physically? It's a good fastball, upper 90s. The four-seamer actually had a lot of movement, a lot of ride, and also two very good breaking balls. He throws a knuckle curve and a slider. You're going to see a lot of gifts of Matt Brash, I think, from his debut and probably throughout this season. Yeah, and I think that's that's a safe bet and you know, very encouraging that he's just uh, through four innings uh, issued the the one walk. And if we stall long enough, we might get to see him in the fifth inning a little bit. And uh, yeah, we're uh, two outs in the uh, in the top of the inning, so <laughs> we'll do our best here. But yeah, very impressive debut so far. Hopefully, he he won't make liars out of us and, and blow up in the fifth. That would be disappointing for uh, for a lot of reasons. <laughs> and the good news is, really, pretty fully stretched out. I think 80 to 85 pitches was the target range that uh, Mariners manager Scott Service had put out there prior to Brash's debut. So really encouraging sign there. I I think based on what we saw from a stuff perspective, if you're in a shallow league and he's still out there, he's worth picking up immediately because he passed the eye test in every possible way. Really curious to see where he ends up checking in once Eno Saris's pitching plus model gets some readings on the movement that Matt Brash was getting because I think we're going to see a pretty big number from the model. Tommy Romero is debuting on Tuesday night, as I mentioned up top, and he may get to stick around for a little while longer than expected. Unfortunately, Luis Patino left his first start of 2022 with an oblique injury on Monday, and Romero was already up because of a Ryan Yarbrough injury, which fortunately is supposed to be a pretty brief absence. But Romero is not necessarily one of your highly regarded prospects in this loaded race system, but he's a guy that's had pretty good results everywhere he's pitched. In 2021, he split time between AA and AAA, had a whip below one at both stops, and 145 strikeouts combined over 110 and a third innings at those two levels. So even if 
there's going to be a drop-off in strikeouts against top-level competition now. I think this is a guy that knows how to pitch, and we know the Rays know how to use pitchers, which makes me optimistic about him, at least in deep mixed leagues. Yeah, I, the flip side there, of course, is that part of what helps the Rays to to maximize the impact of their pitchers is sometimes using them in unconventional roles. So that's one thing that worries me a little bit about Romero. But you know, we'll, we'll see how he does in this debut. It is against Oakland. So I do worry that maybe there's, even though Oakland put up a crooked number, uh, I believe it was on, on Sunday, um, <laughs> that uh, I think this is a pretty uh, pretty soft landing for Romero. And then he does line up to start again against the White Sox uh, in Chicago this Sunday. So we get two in weekly leagues. We get two opportunities to see him, see how uh, deep he goes into these starts, see how he fares. So, I mean, I understand this is a prospect show, but uh Romero, I think, could be very relevant for a wide swath of, of redraft leagues, and we get uh, get a couple of opportunities to see how much to bid on him this coming weekend. Yeah, I like the two-start week in the debut week because you're not totally victimized by a very friendly schedule or a very harsh schedule. You get a better read, and if for a guy making his big league debut, you never know if there's going to be some jitters mixed in there as well. But Tommy Romero definitely on the deep league radar for the short term with this opportunity in Tampa Bay. We had a, a debut over the weekend. Elliot Ramos for the Giants. I did not start Monday's game after making his debut on Sunday. Went two for three against the Marlins. And I was just looking at this outfield and trying to figure out how much of a role Ramos can actually have. Because if you remember back during the post-lockout portion of the offseason, the Giants were among the finalists for Seiya Suzuki. They were looking for an impact bat for the outfield. And that makes me think that there's actually a path for Ramos maybe to start on the small side of platoon or at least less than a full-time role. But if he shows that he can hold his own against big league pitching, I think there could be a larger opportunity that eventually develops for him in this mix of outfielders. I think so, because as much as we talk about the Giants roster depth, uh, there's there's a lot of players here who could eat up a lot of playing time, but there's also a lot of players who could be replaced as well. Uh, I admit to be being a little bit still a, a bit of a Mike Gostromski skeptic, and I it just wouldn't be beyond me to see him have a, a lesser role or, or Steven Duggar. So I do think that there's opportunities here. I, I hope it doesn't come at the expense of Darren Ruff. We've talked about him a lot already <laughs> in this young season. Uh, hopefully there's there's room for both of them. I also just do wonder how Ramos will, will do initially. And maybe if he does get eased in, like you say, maybe on the small side of platooning and gradually uh, that role gets ratcheted up into something more prominent. Maybe that that's the way to go. But, you know, not, not an overwhelming amount of, of power or uh, contact skills displayed at, at each of the minor league stops. Again, you know, young for uh, pretty much every everywhere that he played. So maybe this is not the year to um, to be going aggressively after Ramos and redraft leagues. Uh, and on the flip side, if we are looking at dynasty leagues, if he does struggle a bit, maybe there's an opportunity there to add him to your roster for the longer haul. Yeah, I think for now the redraft appeal for Ramos is probably NL only leagues. And if you're in a 20-team yeah. mixed league or something, sure, that's basically a mono league just with all the teams in it. Uh, but I think there's some power. There is some speed. He's shown the ability to draw walks even as he's moved through the upper levels of the system. Split last season almost evenly between AA and AAA. The power did dip 
late in the year. That's a little bit of a surprise. And I guess the biggest question for Ramos in the short term will be how much swing and miss is there going to be? But I think there's a lot that's changed just in the last year or so. I mean, we saw AAA really get depleted last year. The quality of the competition wasn't great in terms of the quality of the pitching. I'm curious to see how that impacts young hitters like Ramos. And I'm also curious to see how the new rules, the limits on the number of times you could option a player up and down, how that changes teams' willingness to use a young player like this in a less-than-everyday role. I mean, if the Giants just see him as one of their best options against lefties, then that's what they're going to do, I think, because they can't use the entire roster quite the same way they did a year ago with all of these new rules in effect. Now that we're almost a week into the season now, we've had a chance to see how other prospects that were on opening day rosters have been used over a couple of series. It looks like C.J. Abrams is being used in a straight platoon for the time being, getting his starts against righties, sitting against lefties, and I think the Padres have caught a few extra lefties on the schedule to begin the year as well, so he's played a little bit less than some people would have expected, but I'm not surprised to see an approach like that because Hassan Kim showed some flashes late in the year last year of, of putting some things together after a pretty slow start to his big league career. And by sharing that shortstop spot with him, I think the Padres can sort of ease Abrams in and make sure that the leap he's making is one that he's really able to make comfortably. Yeah, and this is a leap from double A and last year playing only 42 games at that level. So there's nothing really guaranteed here. I mean, not that there ever is, but a lot of risk here if you're relying on Abrams to be a contributor to you uh, outside of uh, outside of mono leagues. Uh, but you know, the one thing that he did show at that level was uh, the ability to to make a lot of contact, and maybe that's something that can carry over. But um, you know, I think this is another case too where the the dynasty appeal, even though he's in the majors in a pretty prominent role already uh, this early in the season, uh, I, I think that uh, you know that that redraft appeal is still not that strong. Yeah, I've been waiting. I'm in a 16 team mixed league where I've got Abrams as one of my prospects. I don't have to promote him, but once I do, it ensures that his contract in the league starts up and all that. He'll probably play enough to automatically trigger that anyway, but I've been waiting to put him in my lineup until we get to a stretch of the schedule where they either see more righties or we start to see a little more confidence in him against same-handed pitching. So a bit of a slow start for him, but not a surprise. I mean, a lot of the top prospects in the game are off to a slow start here in the early going. Uh, sticking with the Padres for a moment, we have to keep an eye on their upcoming schedule because it sounds like Mackenzie Gore might get an early promotion from AAA. Blake Snell recently went on the IL same kind of injury that he had last year, an adductor strain in his legs. So could be a couple of weeks before Snell is even back in the equation. Gore has made one start in the minors this year. Al, they sent him back to AAA El Paso. I wondered when I was talking to Keith Law at the end of spring training, I wondered if they would send him all the way back to AA just because El Paso is one of the most hitter-friendly environments in the most hitter-friendly league in the minor leagues. And no problem at all. Five scoreless innings for Gore with seven Ks in his AAA debut. You, you take that debut and you tack it on to a really nice spring where everything seemed to kind of come back to where things were maybe two and a half years ago for Gore. I'm curious what your interest level is in him in redraft leagues at this point because it seems like he is back. It does, and even if he doesn't make the start uh, later this week, which I think there's a good chance that he does, and maybe that's it's a one and done. But I think his turn is going to come up eventually, and uh, I, I just think that you know 
whether what we saw in the spring is going to be a, a good indication of how he deals with the majors uh, initially. There's just so much potential here for him to to be dominant that uh, I think if you have an opportunity to stash him now, I, I really do think now is the time because what if he does make this start and pitches so well that he stays in the rotation? I, I don't think that that's completely uh, unfathomable. So I think now is, is the time in redraft leagues to go get him. Yeah, uh, I think you want to have Mackenzie Gore in that position because unlike a lot of the other young pitching prospects that are currently in what I'm calling the electric fireman role, uh, kind of stuck in between the rotation and the bullpen, Ronzi Contreras is in that space right now. He is stretching out. Spencer Strider was there, but he threw a ton of pitches on Monday and they sent Tucker Davidson down. So I think things could be shifting already in Atlanta. Uh, Joan Duran, I think, is a guy that people have been excited about early in the season. Maybe he's staying in the bullpen more long-term in 2022. But we have this, this group of players. Clark Schmidt is in this, too. We don't know what volume is going to look like in the near term. With Mackenzie Gore, if he's up, I think we can say with more confidence he's getting a chance to start and work like a traditional starter, which bodes very well for us if we're trying to get some value out of him from a fantasy perspective. Uh, One injury item to pass along, Edward Cabrera was placed on the minor league IL with a biceps injury. Same kind of problem that he dealt with for a prolonged stretch last year, Al. I'm still optimistic about him if he's healthy once he gets the chance, even though the debut last year was a bit underwhelming. Yeah, I don't think we can put a whole lot of stock in in that. I think the the injury is a bigger concern in terms of uh, if you're stashing him in redraft leagues, and I imagine a good number of people are stashing Cabrera and uh, how long he's going to be out and whether or not this is going to be something that lingers and affects Cabrera performance-wise. But obviously, in in, uh, Dynasty Leagues, uh, he's probably not available in too many, (laughs) but uh, certainly nothing to be too worried about there in terms of the long term. Yeah, Marlins GM Kim Eng saying that they sent Cabrera to Jupiter just because they can have their their instructors at their complex keep an eye on him. He has actually resumed throwing already, which is a really good sign as they try to ramp him back up. But understandably, I think he'll be handled with kid gloves in the near future and probably throughout 2022. So that does put a little bit of a damper on him if and when we see him back in Miami again. Uh, one other debut to talk about, Bryce Elder is going to debut on Tuesday. Sounds like Atlanta is going to stick with a six-man rotation. Mentioned in passing a few moments ago, Tucker Davidson, previously scheduled to start. He actually had to pitch out of the bullpen on Monday in a blowout loss, and then he was optioned to AAA afterwards. So with Spencer Strider stretching out, with Elder getting this opportunity, it looks like there's already a change in this Atlanta rotation, but I'm really surprised they're sticking with the six man, at least for the time being. It does make some sense when you consider the deep playoff run, winning the world series a year ago and, and some younger arms, Max Fried, I guess still sort of counts as a younger arm, but really I'm thinking more like Waskari Noah at the time he lost. And then some of these younger guys like Strider, they seem to be prioritizing. Yeah. Yeah. No, they seem to be being uh, aggressive in terms of moving the, the prospects up. I was surprised by that move with Tucker Davidson I have to think that maybe it's it's going to be a short-term move, but we'll, we'll see. Uh, it is for Bryce Elder. Uh, I don't know how long he's going to be be up necessarily. I do have some concerns at AAA. And granted, you know, these were not a lot of innings uh, he pitched at any level. He pitched at, at three levels last year uh, in the Atlanta organization. And uh, at AAA, uh, had a 2.21 ERA, but 
a lot of walks, uh, more than one every other inning. So may not may he just may be somebody who doesn't really get a lot of strikeouts. Maybe has some some issues with control, uh, but gets a lot of ground balls. And so somebody who may be more valuable in real baseball than in, in the fantasy game. But I just wonder too if initially, as a 22 year old, if uh, Elder's gonna. Uh, be up for very long or if he needs a little bit more time in AAA. If the Athletics' David O'Brien had a scouting report that he shared earlier in the day on Tuesday, Elder is a five-pitch guy, plans to throw all five pitches. Apparently, none of those pitches are necessarily plus, but they're all good enough. So mixing and matching is kind of his approach. What I think we would want to do is probably lower our expectations strikeout-wise, given the lack of a true you know, above average pitch. Even if you got a deep arsenal, you can keep hitters off balance, but it's really difficult to pile up K's at the big league level that way. So he's among the many players I'm interested in watching on Tuesday and not a guy that I necessarily thought was going to be debuting this early in the season. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Let's get to some trending players. That's going to be part of our show each and every week. And Al, it is Stephen Kwan's world, and the rest of us just happen to live in it. <laughs> yeah, I think that uh, any discussion of trending players does have to begin with Stephen Kwan. And I've seen the discussion on Twitter about whether or not it's really advisable to even talk about you know buying or, or selling. Uh, I, I'm not really sure what you could get for Stephen Kwan as a sell-high candidate. And, you know, obviously it's just an outrageous start that he's having. Uh, still hasn't struck out, by the way. And if I, he didn't strike out in spring training either, uh, if I recall. Uh, so somebody, <laughs> yeah, somebody who just makes a lot of contact. But, uh, you know, to match, for example, a 6.7% strikeout rate that he put up in limited time at AAA last year. I, I don't think that's a realistic expectation. Uh, so I think somebody who, who could, uh, who could hit for average and get on base a lot, but I, I'm not really expecting a whole lot more than that. Here's a great stat from Sarah Langs. This is, this blows my mind it, during the young season, most swings this season among players who have zero swings and misses. Stephen Kwan has 33 swings without a swing and a miss. Uh, Willie Calhoun, Ryan Jeffers, the next closest at 13 and 12, respectively. I mean, wow. We know that there's a, a good hit tool here. This this is interesting for a lot of reasons. And we started talking about Quan a little bit on Under the Radar on Tuesday. And I think the thing with Quan that we really just can't pin down is how much power are we going to get? If it all works, it's easy to see him being a guy that hits over 300. 
and the OBP will be good, so it'll be high up in the lineup, so it'll score runs. If you put a lot of balls in play, you'll drive in a decent number of runs, so maybe at least an average contributor for a guy hitting out of the two slot in the RBI category, but it's that in-game power that I think is a really big question for me and for a lot of people. This is just a phenomenal start that he's off to, to his big league career. He's been the most viewed player on CBS on April 12th. Nearly double the views of anyone else. Over 18,000 pickups in Yahoo leagues for Stephen Kwan as well. I think this is the kind of thing, if you're streaming players, if you believe in the hot hand, I do not. You're in a 10-team league. I understand why you'd pick him up. And you just, go, you just want to see, like, how long does this go? When does the ride end? What do we get in the next couple of weeks? If he keeps playing every day and has that prominent spot, maybe he ends up being an early season pickup that sticks. But... I wouldn't be surprised if he's more of a 300 hitter with a dozen home runs when it's all said and done this year than a guy that's going to be a big difference maker in the power category. Maybe it's you know a half dozen steals, maybe eight or ten at the higher end as well. But I almost wonder if he's a better real-life player than he is a fantasy player. It could be. And, of course, if he's getting hits and getting on base a lot, then there, there could be some run production as well. But, yeah, I'm seeing I mean, with that profile that you described, which is – pretty much what I'm expecting as well. I mean, that to me, that's that's an outfield version of Adam Frazier. And there, there's there's some value in that, uh, just not perhaps what people are expecting right now. Still a lot of fun to have a week like the one Stephen Kwan is having as he kicks off his big league career in Cleveland and certainly a team that's needed help in the outfield now for what feels like a, a half decade or so. Let's talk about Kyle Wright for a moment, Al. I was asked for the Tout Wars roundtable, what am I looking for this time of year while well, I'm looking for increases in velocity, changes in pitch mix, I mean, new pitches entirely are always fun. Kyle Wright is a different pitcher than he was last season, and I'm very intrigued. An uptick in velo, over a mile per hour increase on the sinker, and he is throwing a ton of curveballs. Last season, he threw curveballs 14.3% of the time, wasn't in the big leagues very often. Threw that 40% of the time in his first start last week, and I'm here for it. He's the second most added pitcher on Yahoo behind Tommy Romero. A lot of Yahoo ads on the pitching side are for daily streaming purposes. Everyone's streaming against the A's right now. I understand it. But Kyle Wright could end up being one of the better April pickups among pitchers, especially if Atlanta sticks with that six-man rotation because you're not as worried about job loss with that extra spot. Yeah, no, it's going to be interesting to watch. Also throwing a lot more sinkers in that first start as well. So, you know, interesting mix where maybe we see an uptick in whiffs, but also we get an uptick in ground balls, which is a, a combination that you love to see and you don't see it very often. So, uh, yeah, pretty exciting and obviously he should get a lot of uh, a lot of run support so uh no no wonder that he's being added everywhere Yoan Duran also added in over 5000 Yahoo leagues he has starting pitcher eligibility of course those leagues use SP and RP designations he'll pick up in season relief pitcher eligibility very soon since he's working out of the pen for the Twins right now I think he's a little bit different than some of the names I mentioned earlier because it seems like short relief is a longer-term path for Duran, and he's on a team that doesn't seem to have one closer right now either. So I'm curious what your interest level is in Duran for leagues where he's still available and how you think the Twins are going to deploy him. I'm not sure, but just the possibility that Duran is somebody who could emerge as a, as a regular closer, because we, we've seen that with the Twins before. I mean, we've seen them 
uh, toggle between multiple relievers, but then you know, we've seen them at times settle on on somebody if they're really in a groove. And to me, Duran has uh, probably a better profile than anybody in that bullpen right now to to emerge in that role. I mean, he's really just dominated in the very uh, short amount of time that he's pitched so far this year, 38.1% uh, percent CSW, which uh, you, you know you like to see uh, zone contact rate of 71.4%. And I know this is on a very, very small number of pitches. But again, when you look at the alternatives in that Twins bullpen, uh, I still think when you're, you're looking at uh, what these numbers look like over, uh, over a longer haul, that maybe he winds up with, you know, 15, 15 plus saves. Definitely a possibility. And if he's getting bulk and it doesn't work out for him on the late, uh, on the on the late inning role, he might be good enough, at least in deeper leagues, to stick on the roster for most fantasy managers throughout the season because the stuff's that good. The ratios could be excellent. Could be a relief wins source for a lot of people as well. Let's talk about a few players that have not debuted yet, but they are increasing in terms of their roster rates. Anthony Volpe kicks us off, up over 25% rostered now on CBS. And I've wondered, going back to the end of the offseason, if Volpe actually has a path to the big league roster, probably late second half if it happens. I mean, we're talking about a guy who just debuted at AA last week and would probably split the season between AA and AAA before maybe getting a promotion in August or September, right? There's a lot that can happen between now and then. The Yankees could go out and add another shortstop via trade if they're not happy with what Isaiah Kiner-Falefa is doing. Uh, so there's plenty of, plenty that can change. But when you are looking at prospects to stash in deep redraft leagues, mostly AL-only leagues, is Volpe worth a reserve pick for you right now, just given where things stand with the organization as a whole and given where he's starting the season? I think because of both of those things that he's really not on my radar for that kind of situation for a redraft league stash uh, because he does need to get himself established in double A, maybe, like you said, make that move up to triple A. And you're looking at a situation where, yeah, maybe if, if uh, uh, Isaiah kind of fluffer kind of fluff, excuse me, doesn't work out. If Glaber Torres uh, just you know, does not have a big rebound season that maybe they're willing to make a big internal move, but there is a lot of roster depth there in the middle infield. Uh, the Yankees historically have uh, gone a lot of times for the external solutions. So all those things together uh, really keep Volpe off of, uh, you know, my, my short list of players that I'm, I'd be looking to stash. I think in terms of his skills, I believe his skills are excellent and he's going to be a very good fantasy player for a very long time, maybe even a future first round type ceiling because of the power speed combo that he brings. But I think you're gonna have to wait so long, even in those deeper leagues that you can probably find other prospects who might have lower ceilings, but they might have shorter paths to the big leagues. And I think that's where my attention would be even in those really deep AL only leagues. So I see him as more of a, a multi-year league guy, even as the season begins at double A for Anthony Volpe. I think we saw some mixed league appeal with Tristan Cassis early, early in draft season. Bobby Dahlbeck went on to show a lot of power this spring. Of course, Dahlbeck improved his K rate down the stretch last year. And if he can sustain some of that improvement early in 2022 in those deeper mixed leagues where Cassis was drafted, maybe he starts to fall off some rosters eventually. He's beginning this season at AAA. He ended last season at that same level. 
I have no doubts about what he's going to do as a hitter, but I think it is more of a question as to how quickly he can actually force his way out of the roster in Boston. Yeah, I would expect that this is going to happen fairly soon. And uh, just a comparison with Volpe, for example, uh, I, I just think there's a much better opportunity in Boston for, for Casas. Uh, the, the skills are unimpeachable. I mean, he's got power. He's got uh, a great batting eye. Uh, and, and I just think that, um, you know, Bobby Dalbeck is, is not going to be the obstacle that keeps Tristan Cassis, you know, down, uh, down in Worcester, uh, for an exceptionally long time this year. Gabriel Moreno, catcher in the Jays system, started the season at AAA, finished it la- there last year. He's just the extra catcher right now. I, it's similar to the Cassis situation where I think it's in more of an early call-up, but it's just they needed a roster spot to open up for him. So you know what exactly causes that? I don't know. Uh, a tough player to stash just because unless you have what looks like a three- to four-week path to an opportunity – it's just you need that spot for someone else. That's the problem I keep running into with a player like Moreno in redraft formats. Bobby Miller on the pitching side up a bit, probably in part because at the end of spring training, there was the outing he had against the Angels and a very gifable uh, plate appearance against Shohei Otani that made the rounds. Miller, one of many electric arms, stacked up in that Dodgers system that could debut at some point this summer. Yeah, well, in fact, uh, I just right before opening day, I did a Q&A with Keith Law for The Athletic. And one of the questions I asked him was about the uh, the prospects who weren't making the opening day rosters that we should be really excited about and, and you know looking for in redraft leagues this year. And he mentioned Mackenzie Gore, said he was as excited about Gore as anybody else. But the next player that he mentioned was Bobby Miller. So that to me is pretty a pretty big endorsement. And definitely somebody to to be putting on your watch list in uh, in redraft leagues, and obviously, uh, if he's available in, in dynasty formats, uh, definitely somebody to to pick up right away. Yeah, I think the only question will be the way he's used. He could be used as a multi inning reliever. Could get the Duran treatment. You know, could be very similar in terms of where the Dodgers have the greater need once they decide that Miller is ready. But it really shouldn't be that long. Uh, the pitching prospect that I wanted throughout most of draft season, even if I knew I was going to have to wait a few weeks before he was going to debut, is Grayson Rodriguez. And the only concern, and I've outlined this on our pod before, is that once he comes up, I do think Baltimore will be very careful with his in-game workloads. So it might be very difficult for Rodriguez to pile up wins for us in leagues that re- reward wins. But I think the quality of the innings is going to be Excellent, and I think the strikeout rate is going to be very good as well. Interesting to see him all the way up over 40% rostered now in CBS leagues. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, the point that you raised there about the usage patterns for uh, Grayson Rodriguez was also a point that uh, Keith Law made in that piece as well. So uh, I think that is something that you have to keep in mind uh, in determining uh, where to stash him, how long you're willing to stash him. But I agree with you that there's no question that with the, the numbers that he's put up in the minor leagues, Great strikeout rates, uh, great walk rates that, uh, you know, those numbers are going to carry over to a large extent when he does come up. I've made this argument before on the Athletic Baseball show and on Fridays, most weeks I host an episode with Keith and I was trying to figure out why a team would take someone like Grayson Rodriguez and try and stretch his innings over a full season instead of having him work up to a true starter's workload and just getting the innings in as soon as possible and then saying it's August 15th and you've reached your innings limit for the year. 
let's shut you down. And the reason why I, I think it's weird is because if you kind of slow play at the beginning of the year and something happens, injury pops up, you lose development time and you can't get it back. I mean, the fall league, I guess, is kind of your safety net. So if you only were to get a hundred innings or something during the, the regular season in the minor leagues and you wanted to get to 140, well, you can send someone to the fall league if they're healthy enough to go. But I just think with pitching development, waiting to give someone innings is a mistake that teams hopefully won't make long into the future. But I'm still very excited about Grayson Rodriguez. I would say give it another couple of weeks in a redraft league if you can afford that roster spot because he should be among the first pitching prospects to get an opportunity at the big league level this season. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. So we're going to do a level roundup on this show. Each week, we're going to pick a different minor league level and just talk about some notable performances of top prospects and probably even a few deep, deep sleepers along the way, because what fun would life be without deep sleepers? we got to unearth some names that people haven't talked a lot about, uh, but we're going to start at double A this week. And Francisco Alvarez, a prospect that people talk about and write about all the time, Al Alvarez is just a machine behind the plate. Already has a couple of home runs at double A. Won't turn 21 until November. I know he was Keith's top-ranked Mets prospect when that piece came out, and he cracked the top 10 overall on Keith's list. I will say this. If you look at a list like Keith's, if you look at a list like what you see at Baseball America or you know wherever you like to get your prospect information, the non-fantasy lists will often bump up catchers a lot higher than a fantasy-centric list. Even with that disclaimer, Francisco Alvarez seems like he's kind of in a class of his own in terms of the power potential that he brings as a catching prospect. And I don't think he's as far away as a typical 20-year-old catcher at AA would seem to be. No, I would agree with that. I think there's opportunity for him at the major league level. And uh, if you look at the numbers that he put up at uh, high A last year, um, great power, uh, a good batting eye. I mean, the the strikeout rate uh, almost up at 25%. So you figure as he moves up, that could go up as well. But off to a tremendous start already in double A. So, if, you know, that continues there. I think maybe we're... We're looking at seeing Alvarez up uh, later this season. Uh, and so def- definitely something to be tracking in, in redraft. James McCann is one of those players. If you had to move into a part-time role, that's fine. It's a luxury the Mets can afford if they feel like they can get a lot more out of that catcher spot from Alvarez. I think the strikeout rate is definitely worth watching after that number you mentioned last season, 24.6% at high A, really the only skills flaw. And that's picking nits to get there when you're talking about a 19-year-old at that level who also popped 22 homers and stole six bases, which that's not what you expect from him. He's a he's a very large 20-year-old, not in a bad way, but just very stout, not the kind of guy you'd expect to see stealing bases, especially as a catcher. 
The next player I want to talk about is one that I just got in one of my keeper leagues, Zach Geloff. He's a third baseman in the A's system, opening the year with a 9-for-16 stretch, has a couple of home runs as well. And he could move pretty quickly in Oakland because that is a land of opportunity on that big league roster. Last season, Geloff had a 143 WRC+. plus. That was at low A. They skipped him over high A entirely. And I think much like Alvarez, the number I'm watching is the strikeout rate because I think that's going to give us a pretty good indicator of how quickly the A's might be able to test him at AAA and put him right on the doorstep of making his debut at some point, perhaps later this season. Yeah, no, there's there's opportunity there for Geloff, uh, obviously with uh, Chapman out of the way and just a, a question of how he handles double A. I recently picked him up too in a deep dynasty league and was very, very happy to be able to add him. So not re- necessarily expecting him to make a contribution fantasy-wise this year, but I agree with you that it won't be long. Uh, next year, probably at the soonest. Yeah, I think he's got the up arrow next to his name, though, if you're looking for someone who's going to probably take a leap up rankings over the course of this season. Uh, he was on the just-missed list, so narrowly missed Keith Law's top 100 back in February. Jordan Westberg off to a great start in the Orioles system, currently plays on the left side of the infield. Reading about him, I don't know if he's really going to be a shortstop at the highest level. I think he'd be either a third baseman or maybe even a right fielder, but it's all about the bat. It's just going to be a question of how much he's going to hit. And I think the Orioles have this group of prospects that doesn't include Adley Rutschman and Grayson Rodriguez that will be debuting probably more in 2023 and 2024. Westberg, hopefully, uh, the former part of that timetable. He's back at a level where he finished in 2021. I could really see this being a season that he splits between double-A and triple-A. And I think the thing about Westberg that catches my eye is that he controls the strike zone really well. But it's a nice mix of power and speed, which for a guy that's playing on the left side of the infield right now, I think that that gives me an idea that the athleticism is there for him to be a pretty decent outfielder if that's the move that he actually has to make. Yeah, 17 steals last year across three levels. Uh, so be interesting to see how that plays uh, with uh, a, 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 perhaps a full year in double A or, or maybe split between double A AA and triple A and see uh, what what part of his uh, total skill set that 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 plays. Because uh, to me, that really would that's the thing that really makes him an interesting prospect, because the like you said, he controls the strike zone well, uh, walks a lot, but the strikeout rate is, you know, it's, it's not in, in Stephen Kwan territory by, by any means. Uh, and the power's been, you know, sort of in the in the middling range uh, so far. So if uh, the steals continue, then I think there's always appeal with somebody who can, tri- can contribute there. Now, the deep sleeper for this episode, the name that I have never said out loud before is Felix Valerio. He is a second baseman in the Brewers organization. The name was familiar when I saw him on one of the leaderboards. Like, where have I seen that name before? He was in the Keon Broxton trade, which if you're not a Brewers or a Mets fan, you probably forgot that trade ever happened. You probably haven't thought about <laughs> Keon Broxton in four or five years. But uh, Valerio is a 21-year-old. He's listed at 5'7", currently playing second base. Hit very well at low A last year, was an above average regular in the second half at high A, and the Brewers went ahead and pushed him aggressively to double A to start this season. He didn't crack the top 10 of Keith Law's Brewers prospect rankings to begin 2022. And I think the biggest question that Keith had in his profile was about where he's going to play defensively because his arm is not good, even for second base. But the plate skills are really good. 
tons of extra base hits, 51 extra base hits across two stops last year, and he steals bases for us. So there's a lot of things in this profile that we as fantasy players like, and there are some questions to be answered, but age to level, what he's been doing to this point in his professional career, I think Valerio is one of those guys that could catch a bit of helium this year if he handles double A anywhere near as well as the start of his season is gone. Yeah, I, this is a great call, and it's really, really interesting skills profile here. And you'd mentioned, too, that he got that bump up to high A last year, uh, didn't play their long 29 games before getting moved up to double A this year. But uh, a 113 WRC+, plus, in spite of the fact that on batted balls he hit 242, didn't hit a lot of line drives. So that's a thing that kind of looks like uh, uh, regression in, in the positive direction is is coming his way. So I wouldn't be at all surprised to see him hit for a nice average there at double A with that speed power combo. Pretty, pretty exciting stuff. Yeah, it might be more of an average OBP speed profile with non-zero power as he faces better pitching. I think that's the thing I want to see the most. Does have two homers in his first three games at triple A, though. So as he sees more and more velo, better breaking stuff. I just want to see how he responds. Definitely a name that I'm putting on watch list. I don't think I'm in any leagues that are deep enough for me to add him right now, but if you played in a dynasty league with 20, 24 teams and an open player pool, there's a chance that maybe there's a spot on the bottom of your roster for Felix Valerio. A few arms of interest at AA. Two, of course, in the Cleveland system. We saw Daniel Espino make his AA debut with Akron. Four innings pitched, two earned runs on three hits, two solo homers in there, but nine Ks and zero walks. That's the key for me because when you read about Espino, the biggest question comes back to command and control. So keeping the ball in the park and avoiding free passes are the two things we're looking for, and he did at least one of those things really well. And that slider, the plus slider that you see in the scouting reports, looked really good in the clips that I was able to see from that debut. Yeah, the numbers translated really well for him as a 20-year-old in, in high A last year. Uh, just an outrageous strikeout rate and uh, just an 8.2% walk rate. So uh, very, very encouraging stuff. Can't wait to see how he does uh, over an extended time at A. No surprise that his teammate, Logan T. Allen, handling himself well in his first A start of the year as well. 81 pitches for Allen. I think there's a better chance of Allen getting a totally normal starter's workload if he gets a chance to debut for the Guardians later this season. Doesn't have the ceiling that Espino does. Very few pitching prospects do. But I think Allen can miss enough bats to potentially be a viable option for us once he gets the call. I don't think I'm stashing him anywhere, not even in AL-only leagues right now, but watching him very closely to see how aggressively Cleveland might bump him up to AAA. If they're going to give him that shot in, in May, then we could maybe see him in the big leagues by the middle of the season. Yeah, definitely something to watch there. And, uh, you know, there, there, there could be opportunity. I mean, this, this is a system that, uh, has produced a lot of great, great pitchers in recent years. And, uh, looks like they've got another one on the way here. One more arm of interest to get to on this episode. Jack Leiter made his professional debut. He's pitching at double a for the Rangers touched 97 with his fastball. That is according to Stephanie Sheehan of MLB pipeline, seven K's in just three innings, 60 pitches thrown for lighter in that debut. So they're handling him pretty carefully as well. And I wonder, is there a path for him? If the Rangers are 
able to take the step forward they're hoping to take this year, do you see a world in which Jack Leiter debuts, even if it's a, a brief opportunity late in the season in Texas? Because the way they're handling his innings right now makes me think they're trying to leave that door open in case they need him. That's what it looks like to me, too. I, I do see that, and I don't see a lot of obstacles uh, between AA and uh, and the majors, uh, so that as long as he produces in the minor leagues, I, I do think that that opportunity is going to be there late this season. So, probably not somebody I would stash. I just don't think he's going to pitch enough innings in the major leagues. But, yeah, just watch watch that trajectory carefully. And it might be Owen White and Cole Wynn who actually get to debut first, even though Leiter is the guy of those three that might have the, the best long-term ceiling. I think we're going to get some reinforcements from the Rangers minor league system at some point. That rotation it has opportunities available, to put it very nicely. But that is going to do it for this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. You can find Al on Twitter at AlMelkYourBB. You can find me at Derek Van Riper, And you can read all the great prospect coverage at The Athletic with a subscription to The Athletic for just $1 a month. Go to TheAthletic.com slash Fantasy Baseball Podcast to get that deal for the first six months. We are back with you on Thursday. Thank you.